Привет, everyone, and thanks so much for joining us again on the Formula One Jackass podcast. My name is Ryan, and as always, I am joined uh, from very far away this time uh, by my good mate, Tavarish Christopher. Привет. Uh, yeah, we uh, thought we we're gonna have a boring uh, Russian Grand Prix, and uh, we didn't want to do a pre-race thing because you know it's the Russian Grand Prix, usually boring. But like you guys may have noticed, it was absolutely insane and we have so much to talk about and me and Ryan have already been talking a lot before the podcast started and yeah we just can't stop so yeah let's dive into it man well if you solely take a look at the results so you haven't watched the race and you take a look at the results you're just like more Russia as usual yep. but the results were only you know classified three laps from the end and up until that time so much has happened so it was definitely a race you like especially this season you don't want to miss a race but this one could be you know it could be defining for you know this championship and the rest of the season for many different uh reasons so we'll dive into uh, not necessarily each of them but the main points uh later on in the podcast but i actually wanted to start um from the start of the weekend. So it was actually the first time that we had Formula 2 and Formula 3 in the same race weekend, which uh, was great to see, but we didn't end up get to, getting to see a lot of racing uh, from the Dream of Formula because a lot of sessions were cancelled because of the weather. So um, what was very, to me, very um, uh, both interesting and, and, and not so good was that because of the rain predicted on the Saturday, they decided to have uh, to switch the schedule of a Formula 3 race to happen at the end of Friday. But that wasn't really communicated well, and I ended up missing that race, not knowing that it was happening on the Friday. So And it was the last race in the championship, right? That as well. So yeah. um, definitely uh, a, a learning takeaway, you know, moments for Formula 1. Uh, I think... The calendars in general is something to to look at, not yeah. necessarily about not only about where we're going to race, but the makeup of such. I'm not sure if uh, you got to know the news, but the um, the Grand Prix of Monaco next year will follow a traditional calendar. So they're going to do the yeah. Friday, Saturday, yeah. Sunday and such. And within that, you know, it's always great to have supporting series, but um it's it's good to have contingency plans in in case that happening, you know. So, a lot, uh, and I wanted to quickly touch back on the survey uh, that we talked about in a couple of podcasts ago. Yep. Um, and uh, for those of you who haven't filled it in, it, it has closed. But there's actually a lot of team bosses, uh, notably uh, Mattia Binotto and such, um, that truly, you know, see the value of having the fans have their input to shape the future of Formula One. And we see this, you know, more and more. It, the sport becomes a lot closer, it feels, uh, with, uh, you know, they still have, so one of my main points was about accessibility. Um, you know, disappearing behind a paywall is, is, you know, one thing, it's fine. You know, you pay for the content you want to see and consume. Uh, but at the moment, it's either you go all in or nothing at all, and there is no in between to suit the needs of, you know, different income levels. Because it used to be the free to air demographic, yeah. right? You know, and visiting races is, is hugely important for everyone. Like Formula One is nothing without its fans. Yeah, you know, it's not accessible to everyone, you know, of all income levels at the moment. No. And uh, I think so... the we race as one should also include that. Hmm. It shouldn't not just not be you know race sexuality. There's a lot of things, but like income levels, I think is also a part where now the internet is getting more and more accessible and the internet should be more accessible. We should also allow for these fans that are in regions where it may be hard to be a Formula One fan to become fans easier. And, mm -hmm. you know, that then you have to stop thinking about money and more about just exposure. And I think it will pay out because just like we were talking about in the last episode about Schumacher, all the taxi drivers that are big Shumi fans, you know, <laughs> like that is the free to air demographic. You know, the people that wouldn't necessarily have been big into this suddenly are and get bitten by it because there's a hero they follow. People love stories. Humans love stories. And if there's a nice story they can relate to, they will follow it. 
but they just need to be exposed to it first. And that's what I think Drive to Survive has done because Netflix is exactly that demographic as well. Most people nowadays, you know, um, that have like internet, etc., and they can they can have access to um, to Netflix easily. And then that's the way they get introduced to F1. So we need something like that. And yeah, I think F1 is realizing that, but Sky is, you know, they have their interest, of course. Their model has been working. They earn a lot of money and they have high production value with what they bring out. And it is moving more towards, you know, having a dedicated service for F1, but they still have the contract and we'll see how what happens after that. They paid $1 billion for this contract that runs until, is it 2025 or 2024? Correct. Something like that. So, yeah, yeah. it'll be interesting, interesting to see. though, just uh, very quickly, because like I love this point. Mm-hmm. So much so that we're probably going to dedicate an entire episode yeah. just on money. Yeah. Um, Cash but is king. Uh, also in the news recently is that uh, Netflix uh, would. So when the last round of, of um, territorial rights came uh, available, um, Netflix decided not to join in. Uh, they would think about it again, but only if it makes sense to own the product. So only if Netflix were to buy Formula One and own that product, would they then have you know full control and be able to you know show it around the world and territorial rights didn't matter anymore. So you know this is of course big money involved, big business, but it makes sense. It but does. But we're I going think to it's keep premature. a pin on that. We're going to put a pin yeah. on that for you know our actual podcast regarding it let's go back to sochi let's yes. go back to yeah. russia and man so much has happened where do you want i to love start? f1 i love f1 <laughs> this is why i'm an f1 fan okay so i, I let me just t- tell you a quick story first i'm i'm back visiting my dad in denmark so you know i had to watch the race and he's been watching a lot of races with me back when i was still at home you know and he's used to quite boring races and God bless, he's, you know, he wants to watch them as well. And this one, he says, like, wow, I was so surprised. This was an, it was an amazing race. And that thing, I sa- it says it all. Like, mm-hmm. wow, you know, it's Russia. We are so used to it not being an interesting race. But, like, what we saw was so incredible. It's the last six laps was just something else. And this is what Ryan always wants in F1. Rain, the last six laps. This is, if Bernie could dictate how a race should be, this was it, like... It had like a crazy qualifying session, you know, with Lando Norris on pole position. Man, what a performance as well. And him not dominating the race, but him having good control over the race, looking very much in contention for the victory. And had this been Verstappen or Hamilton, and then someone else had like, you know, taken the victory from them, it would have been a different race. But now we see why Lewis, who was struggling in the beginning of the race, how intelligent of a driver he is how he took the opportunity once it came and how he was managing everything so perfectly and he was tempted to disobey the team but decided not to in the end and it was proven right and on paper like you said ryan it looks like a hamilton victory by 50 seconds boring race in russia right but that doesn't tell the story at all um yeah this is gonna be this season i keep saying it but like wow it's an amazing season i think we should split it into two parts so we had you know the russian company until lap 49 yeah and then the russian company lap 49 onwards so let's first talk about you know everything up until lap 49 yeah and you know we had a qualifying session and start of the race that was you know everything that the sprint race quack quack hopes to achieve yeah exactly you know and you know we had qualifying session in the wet uh and those are the conditions we've talked about before it's when the real drivers stand up where sort of the field and performance levels of cars are equalized or rather high performing cars are neutralized in essence and it comes down to you know a combination of driver input tires and track or rather track conditions and one other thing that's very important courage because yeah i mean that's where, driver that's driver input but that's yeah because what yeah. i I've, I've noticed with norris is when it starts to get wet he takes a lot of risks and it mm. really pays off 
Yeah. So in this because qualifying, because he has nothing to lose. But he's nothing to yeah, lose. Yeah, to come to come that. I mean, to take a step back a bit. Mm -hmm. So this is what the fans want to see. This is what Formula One wants to see, and they try to sort of attempt to bottle it and sell it as the sprint race, sprint yeah. qualifying sort of thing. Um, you know, there is talk of reverse grids and such, but then people start saying, you know, is it artificial? Is it artificial? But we had all of these factors in this qualifying mm -hmm. session simply because we knew um, engine penalties would have come into play. So we had, you know, a couple of uh, teams and drivers that traditionally would be running near the front already started yeah. from the back. I, I, can I just and say, that's already... Start that, that already changed the dynamic of qualifying that the people who would traditionally be behind them could afford to take more risks or rather save more tires as well. Yeah. Uh, employ a different strategy. And we saw that Q1 Fernando Alonso going out on wet tires, not because it was wet, he wanted to test the conditions, yeah. but because he knew the conditions, he could save a pair of intermediate tires, of which they are limited. And... Sort of, I want to start talking about Fernando Alonso, his, yes, you know, his weekend. Yeah, I but think. But I would say, you know, uh, there's the there's the pre-race. But uh, what I want to start with was actually the outlap on the Sunday uh, afternoon. Okay. Where you saw him lock up purposefully yeah. and try that save, bro. He I, already yeah, yeah, yeah. had in his mind, I'm going to do this move at the start of the race. Make it look, I mean, it, you know, he is the master of accidentally on purpose sort of yes. thing. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. he had he the game plan either, saying, which is great. Yeah, he had the game plan of, you know, I'm going to take to the escape rope because I know up ahead, it'll probably be a bit too hairy to stick it out to try that. Get clean through there, you know, follow the rules of the race director. You know, so no no penalty comes in there. He only did it because he tested out the grip levels of, yep. like, you know, and over there. And because of what happened see, in Austria. Because everyone was doing that in Austria. And Carlos like, Sainz as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And he said, like, exactly. if, if yeah. I can do that next time and not get a penalty, I will do it. And it was smart yeah. because you do lose a little bit of time doing that in the first chicane, uh, in the first corner, you know, going the long way. But think mm -hmm. about what he actually achieved. There's a big risk going into T1. And we saw that there was so much happening. It was very bottled up and hectic. He stayed on the outside line. He's like, I'm just going to commit. At the very least, I'll come out with no issue. The guys behind me or next to me might be fighting and lose a lot of time. I'll come out of it still winning, even if I lose maybe half a second. No, it's way less they actually lose. Coming, He came out of yes. it yeah. and he was a little bit behind of where he was. It was a tiny margin. And I think it shows that maybe F1 should think about and make these like runoff areas so it takes a little bit longer time. Um, but until mm -hmm. that has happened, Alonso will take advantage of it and he will employ that as part of his racecraft strategy, which is smart. Yeah. Like this is what a yeah. cunning old fox would do. This is very... So Alonso is a big fan of Bushido and Japanese-inspired. Um, Correct. Correct. Yeah. yeah, and this is very much like... A, you know, if you follow the Sengoku period area of Japan, there's like the Oda Nobunaga, the Toyotomi Hideyoshi, and the Tokugawa Ieyasu. And this is a Tokugawa Ieyasu move. You know, he lets everyone else fight it out and fuck it up. And he'll just do what is technically legal and is fine and do that. And it's very interesting. But yeah, that's a whole other story anyway. Um, because, I, because his qualifying position was sixth. And mm -hmm. we'll, we'll get back to qualifying as to exactly how that occurred and such. And I told you as well, you know, he could be in he could be in for a shout. And he was, you yeah. know, a couple of laps away from, from actually achieving that. But that for him, it already started at the start. He knew that if he's going to scrap away, he'll lose too much time. Mm -hmm. And we've already seen his starts. Like his starts have been for me one of the highlights of the season. You yeah, know, I thought it was just the Renault. The and even at Ferrari he did well, but it's there's something very special about fernando and how once that the light goes out he is so fierce like he's so fierce like no one else and it is so but good it's to also see him back part, in f1 still it's have also that. a part that he is in my opinion one of the very few drivers on the grid who truly know that this is a sport for the fans without the fans there'll be nothing so the one thing he hopes for at the end of the race was that at least the fans who came to the track and watch on tv 
we're entertained. Yeah. Because that's what it's all about. That's what he this spent two years doing as well. So that's why he knows, you know? Precisely. So he all he knows that within a Grand Prix, the start is always an opportunity yeah. to win, to lose. But the start is also something that we specifically tune in. Throughout the years, you know, of you watching Formula One, there comes a time that on a Sunday you have to be somewhere, you know, it's either, you know, grandma's birthday or whatever so you can't watch the full race yeah but you stay long enough just to watch the start and the opening laps and then you're satisfied because you know that you know there's bound something's bound to happen you know whether you have pileups at turn one or someone gets a great start someone has a bad start the start is significant and fernando also knows that yep you can gain but also you know, fans it's are where most the, likely It's where to the watch biggest the difference happens usually yeah. in a race, unless something like Russia happens and, you know, it's the last laps or weather is affected. Like, it's the start and it's it's true. So, yeah, it, he, he, he knows that. And I think it's like he's testing the limits, but he has nothing to lose by doing so. He's not an up-and-coming driver. He's established driver. People will listen to him, just like they do with Vettel and Hamilton. Like, people, like, they've realized that as well. And I think it's great because they can influence F1 now and in a way that it's not, you know, let's ask the drivers for feedback. No, they're going to show us what we need to fix and then we'll have to fix it. So I think I think that's great. And Alonso showed today that, or yesterday, that, you know, that kind of little section they, they did on the thing, it's not fair. And he even well, told you them. Mentioned, you mentioned Sebastian Vettel. We're talking about Fernando Alonso. Yeah. And, you know, two great world champions but you know this season it is different it is around them and we've mentioned you know we race as one and then there's focus on equality there's focus on sustainability uh equal access and uh, and things like that and we saw sebastian vettel previously in hungary uh wear the same love t-shirts which was beautiful you yep. want to talk about something here in Russia. Yeah. So I found a post on Reddit um, of someone taking a picture of Alonso pre-race wearing an LGBTQ plus t-shirt or supporting that. Federal was wearing a t-shirt about climate change. And I think, um, I don't know the backstory of it, but I just thought it was really interesting that Alonso, who I, I knew has a very big interest in things outside of F1 and what F1 must do. But he was wearing that in Russia that we know could be controversial. And Fettel didn't, which is also not saying anything about Fettel, but possibly it was to do with, you know, just being on the more careful side. Still, you know, promote something important, but maybe not try and play with fire. And I think Alonso just straight up didn't care. And I was I was surprised. And you wouldn't have seen, seen that two, three years ago with Fernando. Like, there, there is something there. His, his true self is now there, I think. Something that he was trying to hide before you know, where he had to be careful, but he had to be arrogant and macho to not show weakness. Now he's like, yeah, that shit doesn't matter. I'm just going to be who I am. And then he, just he shows that. So many more layers to that. Because yeah. Yeah, Fernando now, firstly, as a racing driver, he has nothing left to prove anymore. You know, it's not just, oh, Fernando, great Formula One driver. No, it's Fernando Le Mans winner. Yeah. Uh, Fernando could have potentially won the Indy 500. Fernando did Paris-Dakar. Motorsport ambassador. Motorsport yeah. games. He's in, he's in that yeah. stuff as so, well. Like, he has nothing to prove yeah. on track. And he doesn't have to conform to sponsorship images yeah, anymore. Exactly. He can choose which events he wants to do. He can choose which, you know, events matter to him. He can choose how he's going to dedicate his time. Yeah. And, and a lot of that time is spent perfecting his Formula One car and team because that matters to him. And he drives more freely now because outside of the track, he can do whatever he wants. Yep. And that level of freedom, he's enjoying himself. And he that's is. what's most important. And I him. love it. And everyone is loving it as well. Like, I have to admit, like, I didn't really like Alonso. Like, not as a driver, but like as his personality when I was younger. Like, of course, a big thing has to do that he took a championship from Kimi, in my opinion, you know. So it's a bit of like, like you know, tribalism for my part. You know, Kimi's enemy is my enemy, even though they're probably not enemies. But like, you know, he rubbed me a bit of a wrong way back then. A young guy, very full of himself, very confident. That's what made him strong back then. You know, he had that belief and that's what made him so aggressive and 
and a great driver. And now I think he's like, he's one of my absolute favorite drivers of all time. Like just the way he's very, very open, very true to himself. And he, he has nothing to lose. He gives it 100%. And like back when I was reading articles about him and Bushido, like I thought it was a bit, yeah, okay, it's popular, of course. It is a philosophical thing. But, you know, a lot of young people go through these periods of being inspired by these kind of philosophies. But now I feel he's actually living that mentality in a stronger way than maybe Japanese Bushido would do, but in a more Western way where it's just like, these important things matter. I'm going to bring it up. I have nothing to lose. I'm just going to live strong and purposefully and that's what he does. And he's he's doing what is most important, which is his racing and his life. And he's focusing on that. And he's channeling that with 100%. And everything else, it doesn't really matter. So why should he care? But the things that matter and he cares about, he cares about. And uh, yeah, what a great story the Fernando Alonso story is. I understand why Net, uh, Amazon right. wanted to do a documentary about it. Yeah, but everything you just said, we can apply to Sebastian Vettel exactly. and his revitalization exactly as well because um even when he was you know the young gun in formula one yep. you can see based on his interactions with the media and when he answered questions there's a lot of things that sebastian vettel is interested in yeah that's not necessarily interesting for mainstream media yeah. i really like so, his intellect back when he was younger like he would talk about things yeah. and he, he would have like a you know he had some niche interests that was like really unique just like Alonso, but in a different way, he also had that like hot-headedness and arrogancy that you would need and that confidence you need as a young guy to prove yourself. And then they've grown into their their being and being more true to that. And just, yeah, it's it's very commendable, I think. And to me, um, yeah. Sebastian Vettel is, is, you know, works a lot from intuition and emotion. That's why he can get over the top sometimes because he wears, you know, his heart on his sleeve. If yeah. he perceives something to be wrong or an injustice, he will act out and for better or for worse. But that's he's ingrained not very in German. Him. Like, yeah, the, yeah, he's not very and, German. You know, so in order for to get the best out of him or in order for him to perform at his, you know, maximum peak, he needs to have, you know, the, his surroundings you know, in tune with himself. He needs to be supported. He needs to feel loved. Yeah. And that environment was created for him at Red Bull. You know, he was the darling. He was the ultimate marketing tool for them. He was the you Max know, Verstappen. He, he was their return on investment. Yeah. You know, exactly. personified. The, the way Red so, Bull treat Max Verstappen was how they treated Vettel back then. Exactly. You know? So he thrived then. And then, you know, he went to Ferrari wanting to evoke the similar, you know, boyhood emotions of him as well you know world champion german going to drive a red car so that was passion that's emotion that's the reason why he did it because he's a formula one fan and driver everyone wants to drive for ferrari so he it is makes the sense. biggest f1 fan yeah he's so, bigger than most f1 bigger fan than most f1 fans like yeah, yeah can, you saw the video list, of him mentioning yeah, all the listing champions every yeah. champion yeah i can i can't do that him. i i got stuck I, I try to do it, but I got I get stuck around the fifties, you know, with the Fangio championships. Like that's yeah. where it starts to get muddy. The early sixties as well, but like that's what I thought was common. But no, no, no. He he went all the way. He could probably also mention like the pre pre F one era Grand Prix drivers, you know, like yeah. But he could. But F1. then like going back to the point um, towards his, you know, the end of his Ferrari days, there was no love. And he didn't feel the love. He didn't feel the love from you yeah. know, the team, the paddock, uh, the general you know media community, as well as the fans, because he couldn't really talk about the things he wanted to talk yeah. about and do the things he wanted to do. But now, you know, in Aston Martin, and with you know, you know, with these initiatives about equality, about sustainability, uh, things he cares passionately about. And, you know, especially when it comes to sustainability, um, you know, it's it's given him reason to talk about the things he wants to talk about. And people are actually listening and interested in that. Yep. So, you know, his his passion is, is reignited. And then that translates ultimately to results on the track, because, you know, a happy, supported, loved Sebastian Vettel managed to 
bring out results. Absolutely. And we see that in many drivers. Once they feel comfortable, they start to have that confidence and that's when they can start pushing. I'd say even a person like Schumacher is a bit like that, you know. Um, but yeah, um, it's been 27 minutes now and we haven't talked much about the race still, Ryan. <laughs> we have so much interesting stuff to talk about. Should we just, should we start talking about that more? Like, what? So let's finish, let's finish qualifying then. Shit. Um, okay. We're still Fernando Alonso managing to... Okay, you froze up again. Oh, I did. Oh, I just set my internet because that's maybe why there's an issue. I, yeah. I can still I can see see you, but like my uh, upload is probably very low. Yeah. Should I uh, stop my video just in case? Okay. So qualifying was uh, you know everything that everyone wants it to be, starting on you know wet conditions, and then towards the end, um, everyone uh, well not everyone a few decided to take the risk to uh switch to the slick tires and everyone had to follow mm -hmm. um but for the brave few who started it uh of course george russell um being the first one to tell the team to prep the slicks yeah but uh, more but importantly just like you say you said last time with williams they have nothing to lose they should they should gamble precisely. and that's what they do and you know it's so good to see you were so right in that like and it's amazing to see and lando norris as well yeah. uh the ones i want softs i want softs the, the first one to take the gamble uh not the second one after george russell but the first one of the traditional sort of uh teams who have something to lose uh because remember they are still fighting for um third position yep um you know a, a, a dnf for them is more riskier than a dnf for williams for example but um yeah, Lando Norris, as in Spa, just, you know, consciously yeah. taking that risk. Exactly. And having that reward. And that's so beautiful to see, to, to have that, you know, young talent. Because usually it's, you know, uh, young talent versus old experience. And experience teaches one thing. And the young bucks just risk something because, you know, they're, they're full of, you know, confidence and, and yeah. full of, full of, yeah that that that's Full of, i gotta energy. show you what i can do you know exactly. that kind of i'm gonna prove that, that what bravo, i'm worth precisely yeah. which is always what we want to see so exactly when that happened in qualifying it was just so good to see we yeah. talked about the state of formula one before this just reinforces it that we are in a very good place that we have you know the the experienced guys and now the experienced guys on the grid they're multiple world champions you know yeah. uh we have the current you know contemporary generations which are all race winners one of them now a championship contender and then we have the the young guns uh, that bring just so much you know depth and excitement to formula one um yeah i think i think we are in an insanely good position at the moment we and are hopefully it can only go better than uh than now we are around the same time as what it was in the early 2010s when we had so many championships of the grid and i remember thinking this is a golden age of f1 and then i thought it would be a while before something like this happens but this has just proven like with all this young talent that have a good chance to prove what they're worth and especially with norris who i think I really enjoyed him in F2 and I really thought he had really good potential. I thought as well he had a lot to learn, so I didn't expect too much from him. And out of that class, uh, Russell was clearly, uh, you know, the big winner. And we've seen what he's done in a Williams. But just like in Spa with Norris, it was wet. He took chances and he does things that I haven't seen anyone else do in the grid. And here in Russia, when it started to, like, in the qualifying, I was telling my girlfriend, like, if there's one person that should go on slicks, it should be Norris because he will risk it and he will probably set a good time. And he really did. His first lap was not good, but his second lap was so good and it was an obvious pole position. And I just felt like, man, th this kid, he's starting to get there now where he has almost everything in order for it to, you know, be perfect. The one thing he probably lacks is a bit of experience. And that's what we saw in the race. Um... But just to talk a little bit about how, how he braved the things, because before the rain, I know we want to talk about it a bit in more in detail, but before the rain, he was doing well. Once the rain hit initially, I knew that he would be in a good position because he will be able to, to manage it. 
and Lewis started to catch him. But then Lewis, before they both went in for for intermediates, or before Lewis went in for intermediates, sorry, then Lewis started to lose a lot of time in very few, in a couple of sectors where Norris just blitzed him. So had it stayed like that, Norris would have won with an even bigger margin. He was really risking everything and doing so well. But yeah, then I agree. It um, so that that part of the race again before lap forty nine, a lot of media uh, say that or go on the assumption that Lewis would have gotten past. But I think, and I think even Lewis Hamilton admitted that that's not a given nope. because he was driving brilliant. He had it by many sectors figured out that look, okay, look, I will lose to the Mercedes here and there. The most important thing is I have to keep out of DRS range and I can do that in this, this corner and that corner. Yep. So he kept them at bay. He did completely. 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 Like, even though it was, like, I was what, worried. one and a half seconds, those were yeah. controlled. You know, exactly. you can come up to that, but no more. It was like uh, Lewis 12 seconds behind Lando. He's catching him by half a second a lap. And I was like, shit, it's going to happen. I don't think Norris is controlling this. And then Lewis caught up. And then the gap just stays very constant, increases yeah, a bit, decreases yeah. a bit. And I was like, holy fuck. He actually, he, yeah, Norris is actually controlling the race, you know. And had, had it stayed like that, Norris would for sure have won. He knew Absolutely. exactly what he was doing. He knew exactly what he was doing because yeah. it was, yeah, you saw the cycles dwindle down and then it came to a point and he pumped out the fastest lap of the race. It was just yeah. like, yeah, he, it was controlled. So, oh, uh, the the first text I sent you was just heartbreak uh, yeah, because I, I think everyone so felt it. Everyone around the world watching that race felt it. Do you know the term the monkey's paw? No, I do not. So it's like a term for if you wish for something, be careful what you wish for, right? Mm -hmm. Let's say uh, I wish for world hunger to end. Well, we'll just make it so that every person doesn't have a stomach. Ergo, they can't be hungry. And now everyone's dead. You solve your problem. That's the monkey paw, right? So in this case, what we usually want is <laughs> someone is leading the race. Lewis or Verstappen is leading the race. I wish for it to be rain in the last six lap. And then it's like just the race where Norris is controlling everything. Like, no, not like that. Your wish is granted. Here's rain in the last six lap. Here's Bernie Sprinklers coming in. And you have a Hamilton victory by 50 seconds over Verstappen. You're like, fuck. Yeah, fair enough. You know what I mean? <laughs> Not really, but I don't really have a Russian witch girlfriend. So. Yeah, that's um... true. <laughs> we can talk about that as well. Uh, anyway, no, go on. Yeah, even last race, you know, mm -hmm. you're, you're hoping for him, but you couldn't really... Uh, take anything away from Ricardo, who fully Absolutely. deserved the race victory. But that, that, um, that, yeah. In in, how to explain it? Uh, in Dutch, it would have been fantastic to explain. But do the, say it in Dutch. So no, we have Dutch it's, viewers. It's, yeah, we we do anyways. Yeah. But we we keep it generalized to everyone. But the want for someone to have something, you know, mm -hmm. the, uh, yeah, the, yeah. the granting of, of wishing someone well. Yeah. Um, that like uh, factor Lando has all around the world. And that was that was in, in Monza, the case. Yes, he accepted it uh, because he really wanted a team result as opposed to his own result, which increases that factor even more so, you know. So everyone was just hoping and praying that um this victory will be his because he, it, it would have been fully earned. He earned it on the Saturday and on the Sunday, he just reinforced it because um, we saw that Carlos Sainz started from second. There was a lot of rubber down. I said that he's going to take the lead, but he'll manage it and he'll control it. And you saw that, you know, the, the we talked about inexperience, but sort of the maturity in his driving, he just kept at it opening laps following keeping his distance but when it was time to pounce he pounced and yep. it took him like one two tries but yep. he did it and then it was controlling the race so even he lost the start he didn't become hot-headed or nope. stop thinking and start doing stupid stuff which nope. tends to happen with young guns you know and, and it, it, they don't have to be young guns we see like experienced driver doing the same just wanting to go in front at any cost but he still controlled every aspect of his race so it was hugely hugely impressive yep. he would have deserved this victory it would have been standout but at the end of the day he did it but he stuck to his choice 
and all we can do is applaud and respect him for that absolutely and it just gives us massive massive hope for the future what i'm so excited about with norris is we've had some crazy races uh in the last yeah 12 months plus you know with a ghastly win in monza uh perez win in sakia you know these and ocon in hungary as well which has been all well deserved amazing victories but they haven't been victories in the making um if you know what i mean Correct. Norris, Something needed to happen in front of him right. in order for them to win the race. Right. Not necessarily just that, but it's not been something where you see the build-up slowly happening and now you're seeing this per- person being like, this guy deserves a win. You know, it's with Norris, what we saw, I didn't have the expectations that he would get be a race winner by now. And last year, also, I didn't feel like that. I felt for sure he had amazing potential and he needs some areas of improvement which is mostly due to experience, like I said. And now, throughout this year, we've seen him start out a season so strong. He's keeping improving. And then Ricardo had that victory at Monza. And had Norris been ahead of Ricardo in the early stages of the race, I'm sure Norris would also have taken the, the win. Both of them did amazingly that day. And now we see in Russia, where I had no hopes for McLaren, um, when bravery mattered, he was there. He put it on pole position. He was in control of the race. And it's like, this has been building up the whole season. Not just because he is in a good car, but because this kid has improved so much. And it's a little bit like watching when Kimi just got into F1, when, you know, he was a bit unlucky, things were happening. But you could see this slowly coming together as a bigger whole and just, you know, deserving I, that victory. I would, I, would, I would liken him to a different driver. So the first point I want to make is how he's able to channel pressure into a positive Mm -hmm. sense. So with him missing out on the race victory in in Monza, Mm -hmm. which, uh, again, I have to say, it was fully deserved by Ricardo. He was managing the race. Um, But, you know, that fact that, um, you know, he's been consistently outperforming his teammate, Mm -hmm. but his teammate walks away with the victory, it can do one of two things. It can either, you know, dampen or break your spirits because he's been working so hard and then his teammate who hasn't you know lived up to his same results and standards walks away with the the ultimate thing that didn't happen what ended up happening is that that sort of sort of took that that pressure and applied it in the positive sense that he came back the next race so the race after his teammate won with a point to prove that I can be a race winner as well. Absolutely. And that, that is, you know, that is special to see. Yeah, And it is. I would actually liken him to Lewis Hamilton yeah. when he started out. But yeah. Lewis Hamilton did have that. Um, so the traits was that Lewis Hamilton from the start took all the risks, you know, had supreme confidence in he his ability. He also had a better, better car. That's why yeah. it's a little bit harder to compare, perhaps, True. because but their then, initial entry into F1 was a bit different. So, like, the third, uh, rather, Lando's third season and uh, Lewis Hamilton's first season are very similar. Yeah. So it took Lando two seasons to, to build up to the point of having that confidence and, you know, willing to take the risk because Lando Norris of last year, um, it, was, it was not the same driver as it is today. Because no. he's still young and such, he did have that timidness, that inexperience, and just you know, for him, carefulness, which finishing, was good as well. Yeah, but um, yeah, Lewis Hamilton from start naturally that car was way better, but was daring. Like that's what we liked yeah. seeing young guns come in because he, you know, people have to remember that the Lewis Hamilton, the young Lewis Hamilton, made outrageous moves. Yeah, man. Uh, you know, that would be a discussion point today yeah. in the media. Why people and always like the Lewis and Hamilton. Max is so aggressive. Like, guys, do you not remember Lewis when he was <laughs> exactly. young? He was so controversial. Like, absolutely yeah. amazing and brave and always put on a show. Always a pleasure to watch. But Precisely. he was controversial at the time. Yeah. So, that like, or rather, that reminds me of a young Lewis Hamilton, uh, Lando Norris. And you see the relationship between him and and Lewis Hamilton as well. So you talked about the way that um, 
Lewis Hamilton talks about Lando Norris, yeah. either in the media, over yeah. the radio, or just his natural body language towards him is much, much different yeah. than, firstly, any other British driver, you know, potential teammates. And it's, it is noticeable. And he's crushing on Lando. Like, no joke, he can't <laughs> hide how much he really likes Lando. And that's what's so, like, it's kind of adorable how much Lewis, you know, I think he, he really respects Lando because he's at McLaren, his old team, and he talks about that a lot. And he can see Lando bring people together and being a good kid and being a respectful driver as well. Lando's not really in issues. And you could see the smile after the race, you know, how Lewis looked at Lando. And I don't know, it was very sweet. Lewis doesn't always speak highly of drivers that much um he will do if they've done something amazing look i'm not saying he's not giving credit he does but let's see how he talks about russell he barely mentions russell he kind of avoids the uh, the topic and that's a bit it's it's a bit, it's a bit odd but fair enough F1 no, that was that was sensitive. very noticeable as well but of course yes i understand his position because drivers get asked the same questions week in week out yeah yeah, and yeah. even no, if it was the worst kept secret um they still talk about it and ask about it but it was a very to me and, and to you as well a very yeah. contentious choice that whenever he asked he was asked about russell he always managed to bottles. answer the question with a spin so he didn't directly yeah, talk but about but he would always Russell say like Adam. yeah Valtteri has done amazing today he will always spin it like that and it was a bit like it's so obvious by now uh not much not many people are talking about it but i feel it's so weirdly obvious and then you have lando and he is like i said he's crushing on him almost like you know saw the interview <laughs> afterwards and you know he has a lot of respect for lando and i think it's great to see lewis also maybe stretching his his hands out a bit as a mentor to to maybe be able to help lando and yeah give him the credit his, that his, lando deserves his um initial reaction to qualifying results is like great to see another brit on the uh you know on pole which Has he said that about would he have said that about russell yeah or or the previous british drivers in formula one um, his old teammate jensen would he be a, you know true. they got along Very okay true. but yeah yeah but uh yeah so qualifying results Lando we're still at qualifying <laughs> here we are Lando Norris on pole Carlos Sainz amazing effort in the Ferrari yeah. uh, second George Russell another stellar drive in third um, Lewis Hamilton actually getting through on his banker lap yeah. and we have to talk about his 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 run on slicks uh, in Q3 because that could have been you know is that a he sign needed, of he needed Lewis an extra Hamilton? lap he needed an extra lap because mm -hmm. Lando, the George pitted first, right? And yes. He got the heat into the tires, and he started to, you know, test the limits, and that's why he did an amazing lap. And Sainz did it, and I thought Sainz lost it in the last sector because he was still sliding, but then he was up 1.5 seconds, and I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, so now it's all about being brave, but you need a couple of laps to be able to do that. Lando did that. If Lewis had had one more lap on those tires, he would have gotten pole as well. But um, he didn't. He thought it would be okay and he would be safe and didn't look quick on the slicks. It was everyone's second lap on the slicks. That's where they, they got the time, basically. So, Except well, for he, George. Well, I think he, George was well, pushing I mean, from the first you're, lap You're out. correct. Everyone got to do their fastest time on the second lap. Yeah. But Lewis didn't get a second lap because of himself. He yeah. banged into the wall. Uh, Valtteri also not doing a second lap because he was behind Lewis Hamilton. Yeah. So that incident sort of defined exactly. qualifying and exactly. his qualifying as well. Which and uh, he looked under pressure. He looked like someone that was starting to show a bit of cracks in qualifying, mm -hmm. and he had things to lose, you know. And I haven't seen the Lewis thing, in the this thing, position. The thing was is that uh, you know coming into this weekend, everyone was talking about capitalizing on mistakes. You know, knowing that Max Verstappen is going to start from the back of the grid, taking the engine change and all the components of it. This traditionally has always been a Mercedes track. Um, so it's an easy 25 points. And he ended up getting the 25 points as well. But on the expectation that capitalizing on this, meaning he takes home the full load and his nearest rival takes no or a few points. But they didn't execute that well. It was a possibility that he could have had an even greater lead in the championship. What ended up happening was, yes, he got his 25 points, but 
the nearest rival and competitor finished right behind him. So, you know, it's, uh, again, the same in, in Monza, for example. No, no, no. Verstappen finished 50 seconds behind Lewis. Um, yes, he finished, uh, or Max Verstappen finished 53 seconds behind Lewis Hamilton. But at the end of the day, that has no direct correlation to the points awarded. First place still only gets 25 points. Second place still only gets 18 points. So it doesn't matter if you finished way ahead of him in the distance. It's about points in the championship. Yeah, and absolutely. Lewis Hamilton didn't capitalize on that. It could have nope. been a better situation for Hamilton um, had you know he just had a good qualifying session and started on pole and then it would have been a completely different race. As a, I mean, Mercedes did what was bare minimum of them. They needed the win to stay ahead regardless, so Verstappen has to finish behind them. But Verstappen finished in the second best position and started from the back of the grid. This should have been a race where Mercedes bring in the big points, take a big lead in the championship. Verstappen might still get points because he's starting at the back and might do some weird strategy or whatever, but, you know, engine penalty and all that. And, yeah, he didn't. It was, you know... It let's, was... let's focus on that. So yeah. we have Max Verstappen taking engine penalties. Yeah. How do you view the Bottas engine change? So I actually don't know what's what happened. I just know right before the race that he also had an engine uh, change. Um, mm -hmm. Why that is, I actually don't know. So do you think it was, so Mercedes came out, it was tactical, you know, right. tactical. Yeah, it would make sense. It would make um, sense because if there's one track where you want to do an engine change, it would be here in Russia. It's usually a, a race that it's a procession. So unless you can like guarantee to be at front, then you should do it. Bottas has no real chance in the championship. They should try and push Lewis. So if Bottas gets pole, they can control the race from the front. But if if they don't get pole, then they might as well just control the race somewhere where they can get in the way of Red Bull. And maybe that's what they did. And I think so that, that was a, the that tactical. Was a smart decision. So yeah. they, they were hoping on, on Bottas sort of arresting the momentum of, of Max Verstappen. He did for two being, laps and that was it. Exactly. Yeah. So I think they would have expected him to, to do more, to keep yeah. him behind for longer. I was So that well. up until, you know, the first pit stops or the first stint, his race would have been ruined. And that didn't happen. In fact, uh, I think Max Verstappen had more trouble with Pierre Gasly than he did with Valtteri Bottas. Yeah. And I thought once he, he reached Bottas that now we're going to see, you know, Bots are starting to do something about it, but uh, he just got past and started moving up. And yeah, Bottas was not really anywhere this race. Like at the very end, he did kind of gain some positions, but he was nowhere there today. And I thought he would have been. And until right now, I would I didn't actually think much about Bottas's race. But yeah, he he should have been, you know, really capitalizing. Um, and this I would. I would I would uh, say the exact same about Sergio Perez actually. So yes. the second Red Bull, where yeah. um, you know I he agree. should have also played his part more uh, towards the end when the final pit stops happened. Uh, he was about yeah forty seconds uh, behind uh, 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 Lewis Hamilton. He shouldn't have been able to make that pit stop without consequences. So yeah, the um, this was a, a race. That was big, you know, had huge potential both in the constructors and the drivers' championship. In the constructors' championship, the number two drivers have a huge part to play. Um, what's crazy? Yeah. So the statistic, the crazy statistics of this season is that McLaren have the only one-two finish of the entire yeah. season. Yeah. You know, of, of all the teams, which is insane when you they think got, about it. They took their equipment and got the best out of it in one race and neither of the top teams have been able to do that this year they've had Correct. one driver one car being able to top it they've either been unlucky or something hasn't come together but when mclaren had their chance they did it which Absolutely. is why i think they actually have a great shot at the championship next year if they build a good car because they might they will definitely for sure still make mistakes but they do seem to be quite together like let's compare them to a team like aston martin if they suddenly had a championship winning car, I'm not sure they would be able to win the championship simply because they haven't been in that position before. McLaren mm -hmm. have, and they've been building up to this, and they've proven it. Mercedes this year have been a little bit... There's been a lot of uncertainty there this year, you know, with like who's going to take up the next seat, is Bottas going to continue, and that must have for sure played a 
part in the whole team atmosphere and what's going on there. You know, they can't go in with a clear strategy in mind for every race that this is how we work together and do it. There's an uncertainty. And with Perez, he's new in the team. He we, And famously, the second Red Bull car has issues or is difficult to drive, not because of the car itself is different, but possibly Max is just better at dealing with a car like that. And it's taken time, and Perez actually did well in the beginning of the year, but now it's starting to, to crumble a bit. And we see Mercedes, even if Bottas is not doing amazingly well, they can still get the championship. And it's, you know... Lewis hasn't been that impressive this year, yet Mercedes is still say, top. No, I would say actually Mercedes have not been impressive yes. this year. Yeah, okay, But Fair. actually when you look at all the factors that could potentially contribute uh, to that, and of course this coming straight out of the armchair, but um, this season we've had James Allison moving into a different role uh, within Mercedes. Uh, we've had from know last that, season, yeah. So he became the chief technical officer, but he's not running the day-to-day anymore. Uh, the ah, technical yes. matter. So he's okay. at the factory more. We've had since last season um, uh, from HPP, the, the main man in the engines. Um, God, his name slipped. Andy Cowell, no. Yeah, uh, yeah. Andy Cowell. Yeah. Andy Cowell leave, uh, decided to go uh, uh, spend some time away from Formula 1 to recharge and such. Um of course, we had the loss of uh, Niki Lauda as well. But all of these factors, you know, contribute perhaps to the um, sort of not really um, complacency coming in because you can't really say or attribute complacency to Mercedes, but they're no. not as pointy and sharp anymore. And the fact that this Bottas decision took forever and ages, even though it should have been clear cut, and it could even be made at the start of the season, yeah. or they Every could have like dealt with, with this. They could have dealt with this a season before. So 2020 was the year to implement all these changes, so that they had 2020, knowing that 2021 was going to be largely the same. the The regulations were already pushed back way in advance, so they knew that they could could have prepared for all of this happening in 2020 already. I agree, but I agree. they decided to leave it until too late, which. They ended up getting caught with their pants down because they didn't expect the Red Bull to be that competitive. And they weren't expecting an actual fight um, this season because they haven't had one ever since the start of the hybrid era. Yeah. Like a real scrap, a real fight. Yeah, Yeah, they're finally, like, I, like you said, wouldn't use the word complacency because it is Mercedes we're talking about. But they're finally starting to show some things that a team would have done maybe years ago Yeah, uh, that they've only shown in like situations you know Germany 2019 springs to mind but that was an odd one and there has been there have been odd ones but this season as a whole there is a little bit of a different air about them and you know it could be because they're focusing on next year but just like you said with the driver change and all that like that is some things you don't necessarily need to have a stable environment which you absolutely need to have like a stable environment to to be at the top in F1 um and, you know, Red Bull have not really gotten everything together, but this year they look like they've got a good car and they're pushing it as hard as they can. And it's, it's exciting for us, but it's, yeah. Man, what if there was a 2022 season with, with these regulations still? How would it look? I'm so curious, but I can't complain because it, it will be amazing with the new regs changes next year. I'm really looking forward to it. But, uh, yeah, if this regulation that we have now had continued on for furthermore years, we could have seen something very drastically different at the end of it where Mercedes dominance is gone. And we could potentially have seen maybe someone like Ferrari or McLaren, uh, possibly Red Bull again dominating. So, yeah, F1 sometimes naturally finds its course. I don't know. Yeah. So looking ahead at uh, the next few races, do you think from now until the end of the season, Max Verstappen has an advantage of taking that new power unit uh, that... Um, Lewis Hamilton perhaps still needs to do? I would have said yes, but my answer would be, I don't know, because this season, I don't know, man. Anything can happen this season. Like, it might be an advantage. It might not be an advantage. Who who knows? We might have another fucking crazy race. Like, this is (laughs) the greatest season in a long time. But, like, let's say that, yes, it he would have an advantage. Absolutely, he will. Um, I would have done the same. Like, 
I didn't get into it last time, but we talked a little bit about engine change penalties. And so I play, you know, the F1 game as well. And in that, there's always one track where I choose to get an engine penalty, and that's Singapore, because it's my worst track. I'm really bad. I don't enjoy driving there. I just want to get the race over. And that says maybe more about me that I should get better at it. But instead, I just get the engine penalty. I take the 60 place grid penalty. Bam, I have a fresh engine. And that does bring you far ahead in the last leg of the season where that little bit on the straights, you know, where you can just give it a little bit more, where you have a little bit more to deploy when you need it. And I think that could be a, a vital difference this year, to be honest. And I, one, one more thing about that, when you talked about before that, you know, we have the engine regulations where you can't use as many engines as you want. In the beginning, I didn't like that. I thought it was a bit weird that you'd have to penalize. I think it's great to build engines that can last long. But I also th thought it was a bit weird to penalize someone if their engine broke. Like it's unfair, it's just going to be worse and worse because it would often penalize the teams that might not have the budget because they can't build a reliable engine. Because the Mercedes engine so far since the turbo hybrid era has been one of the most um, reliable engines. And now these engine regulations are actually kind of hitting these top teams. And you see the guys that, you know, have more opportunity to try to take risks. And I think maybe, yeah, it's, maybe it's a good thing. Maybe we should have one one less engine next year. No, that was just a joke, but you know what I'm saying? Like, Well, I think um, it's always a double-edged sword. Uh, yeah, for sure. Firstly, I think there are too many races, and there are too I many agree. races for the amount of engines. So when these regulations and these rules were written, you know, I think they still had only 18 races uh, in a season. And 18 is easily divided by three. Uh, it's more easily divided by four. Uh, but why not just have one engine for the whole year? If something on the engine fails, you got to take a penalty. But you got to use that same engine the yeah, whole but year. Is that is that the forefront of technology, though? I like, think it is. Honestly, cannot... it is. Because road cars, they're made to last long. And if we can make F1 engines last the whole season, I think we're almost at the stage where we could actually do that. When they first introduced this rule, I thought there was no way they're going to get these super crazy revving V10s to last. You know, you had five engines a year. No, I, what was it? Like, I don't remember back then in 2004, 2005. But yeah, I think nowadays you could probably build an F1 engine that would be marginally more heavy and clunkier than the current ones. But they would probably last an entire season if they're kept well. And then you can have little components. If you have to change them, you'll get a grid penalty. But you got that one power unit uh, as a whole for the whole year. And um, I think we could do that. The current engines are revving quite low anyway. It's not like they're, the ICE is pushed to the capabilities always, you know? True, but, you know, I come from the era that they had one engine for practice, one yeah. qualifying Me too. engine. Yeah. Uh, and it is perhaps too, too much of a throwback. Uh, we shouldn't remain living in, in that era, for sure. But... Where is the technological advancement in just having, you know, one engine for every session? Like we well, I, I, could, I could tell you that, Ryan. The technological advancement is that you would have to build the engine stronger because it lasts, needs to last longer. In order to do that, you will need to find lighter materials because now you're having to compensate. So you're starting to push the boundaries when you put these kind of regulations on, you know. And in the end, we might be able to find a, a great solution, just like how carbon fiber revolutionized how we built the body of F1 cars because we went from metal to that suddenly, and then, whoa, it was a big difference. No one had faith in it, and now everyone uses it. Maybe something like that in, in you know, metallurgy or alloy construction or some crazy material will come out from that because they would need to make a strong material that's also light that maybe will be able to transfer heat efficiently as well, you know? And who knows? That could be... That could be well, a great way what, to do it. The only way I could see this working is not necessarily that grid penalties are dished out, but rather financial penalties, or rather that the teams wanting yeah. to upgrade parts have to pay for that, and that figure is is decided but, by the. But sporting then you're starting to penalize the smaller teams. I well, mean, no, you are because there is this. there is a budget cap. Yeah. The teams have to allocate. You know, if they want an engine upgrade, it has to come from their budget cap. Yeah. You know, so yes, some teams naturally start uh, the season with a lower uh, budget than than the big teams, but they've agreed to this budget cap. You yes, know? they're play Everyone's playing by the same rules. Yeah. So 
That could I'll be, be interested to see how it'll play out actually with in the era of the new budget cap. So, which is one thing that you know we have yet to explore, we have yet to truly talk about on this true, podcast. True. But there's still so much more that uh, we can take out of that, and we've mm -hmm. mentioned uh, penalties that could be dashed out just for the teams. When I mean, this this winter, Ryan, this off season, we'll we'll go into all of these topics. We can we have so much to talk about. You know how we are when there's no F1. We start to get itchy and weird and start talking about F1 when it's the most inappropriate. So uh, I think all of these topics, we should we should dedicate episodes, like a tire episode, you know, or an episode about... Uh, so yeah, what will happen is that we will be like, you know, hibernating, uh, mm -hmm. getting a cottage in the middle of nowhere, full of yeah. snow, yeah. waiting for Formula One to, to occur. And then we start jotting down all our crazy ideas on the, on the wall with yeah. a permanent marker. You know what time it is? Or rather, which point we've come to, we've come to babbling. It means that it's yeah. time for us. We to started start with talking. babbling, a babbling, and now we ended with it. So that says a lot about this episode. Precisely. So oh. uh, we have a bit of a break. Um, we're going to Istanbul next. The All right. Question, you know, still question mark on this COVID calendar. Yeah. So, um, yeah, personally, I wouldn't be surprised to see it uh, being cancelled. Um, but you never know what's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, red list, no red list, you know, whatever. If it gets but cancelled, it's understandable. It's a shame, unfortunately, but, you know, that's completely okay. And this season so far, <laughs> oh shit, now I'm at this point. Exactly. It's so amazing anyway. <laughs> can't wait Somebody's to see what happens. Can't it's wait going to come for the down to one. the wire, Abu Dhabi, you know. Uh. I can't, no, but like, look, I am so excited by this season. Like, like, honestly, I'm asking all of you listeners, I don't know how many of you there are, but hi mom can, no. yeah hello ryan's mom <laughs> well, do you remember listen. a season like this ryan's mom like do you <laughs> like honestly when was the last time there was a scene like this yeah hmm. that's all i'm saying man okay so uh thank you bell <laughs> when that occurs we shall be back and uh my regards to jens if he's listening and uh in the meantime jens keep washing those hands jens best in henna <laughs> <laughs>